When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to another episode of the Buffalo Happy Hour. Mike, what's going on, man? Derek, collars popped. Horses are in the barn. The chicken is in the pot. I literally have no clue what I'm saying right now. <laughs> what's up, Are man? you having chicken for dinner tonight? Because I am. I don't... I have no clue. Really? Yeah. Colleen's cooking. I just let her live her life, and then I go home and consume all the things. There you go. Well, if you're new here, we are the Buffalo Happy Hour Podcast. We are a podcast that records every week. We have a weekly upload on Monday, and then we also do special interviews releasing on a Friday. So if you're new here, thank you very much. Please hit a like, subscribe, and comment. Because in this episode, we have our weekly recap, like we normally talk about. We're going to be diving into Evan Williams' single barrel whiskey. And then we're going to be talking about our third episode in our segment mini-series. And who is that, Mike? The Knox family. So if you're interested in that, stay along. And uh, hopefully you enjoy this episode. So uh, Colleen just makes the food, and then you just destroy it. Correct. Love it. Yeah, man. I have chicken marinating right now. I uh, tried to cut up the chicken beforehand and then let it just sit in some Italian dressing, mm-hmm. soak in all of that, and then just fry it. Well, cook it on a pan. Don't fry it. I don't like fill it up with oil and then yeah, I was like, it. what are you talking yeah, about? No, you, you just, just put just it on the ruin pan. ruin that. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> Can you imagine doing all the marinating and then being like, I'm just going to deep fry it, whatever. <laughs> I don't even care anymore. <laughs> it would probably taste phenomenal. It probably would. But it's fine. I don't know why... Bad stuff tastes so much better for you, which actually goes into our last interview. So if you guys have not heard of this last interview that we just had, it was with a certified clinical dietitian, which if you know anything about me, I'm all about that healthy lifestyle. So it was a very nice conversation. Uh, it, we covered everything under the sun as it relates to health and probably left out a ton of information that we got to go back for more information on. Yeah. Just too much. Yeah. Like the difference between natural sugar an artificial sugar or other sugars, i.e. if you eat fruit mm. and you're worried about the sugar that's in fruit, you're out of your mind, eat the fruit. Yeah. So we'll dive into all that with part two. So the weekly recap section, uh, let's see. I went to Syracuse to celebrate Christmas with my in-laws. That was a good time uh, for about 15 hours. And then I made a sandwich and had to throw out a paper towel. The garbage is under the sink. I bend over to throw out the paper towel and throw out my back. <laughs> so the rest of the long week end, I was on the floor with a heating pad and ice 
and a lot of ibuprofen, and I stretched. Why does it seem like the least athletic thing you do is what hurts you the most? Like you're throwing, it's not like you're doing a Kobe jump shot, RIP, bud, but a Kobe jump shot across the living room. Right. You were just tossing it out. So how'd you throw out your back? I, I don't know, man. It was an odd movement, apparently, for my lower back. So, like, <laughs> I looked it up, L2 to L5, and my back was just screaming tight, basically your lumbar. Yeah. And um, you also get your back worked on quite a bit, don't you? Yeah, and I haven't gone a little bit, so mm. it was a super good time. So do you feel that chiropractics make it so you go back, like you have to keep going back? That I feel like that's one of the misconceptions with chiropractics is that – you don't want to go because it's like cracking your knuckles. You know, every time you crack your knuckles, you're going to have that urge to keep doing it. Yeah, I'm sure. I There's a lot of people that don't believe that it's medicine. Like, the point of healthcare is to get you better and then you never have to go back. Mm-hmm. And with a chiropractor, people go back once a month to get adjusted. But they're also forgetting that it's preventative maintenance in general. And sure. you're constantly moving. You're constantly in awkward positions, if you know that or not. Um, and then, obviously, we're not doing things that got us to this point anymore. Like, we don't walk hundreds of miles to find food like we used to. Mm-hmm. Um, we walk on paved roads, which we never did before. So our feet are not adapted to that, which is why people are flat-footed now. And most people don't even do that. Right. They just walk up the stairs of their home office. <clears throat> Me. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's so it's it's a zoo, but uh, yeah. I mean, outside of the rehab for my back, I took Sam in the woods again on a family stroll. So he loved it, running around eating all the sticks. Uh, he saw a massive buoy in the lake and thought it was a ball. So he wanted to go <laughs> swim and get it, not realizing it's the middle winter and the water is probably thirty degrees. So we called him away from the water. Have you ever done the polar plunge? No. Would you ever do it? No. Why? For what? I don't know. Isn't, no. it, isn't it like a charity? You're bringing awareness. Remember that ALS ice bucket challenge? Did you ever do I that? I remember all the things. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. All right, conversation over. Yeah. I'm, all of that. I remember everything. <laughs> I literally don't forget I'm a savant. Like, I just, I'm not into it. I, like, yeah, it's a great cause. Cool. There's other ways to raise money for a good cause. So I just, I'm not doing well, it. Well, what is the polar plunge for? I. Come on, man. I don't. Did you? Hold on. <laughs> After I literally just said I don't forget anything. Well, because I, did, I know that it's for something. Jamie, get on the computer. Let's or James. I'm sorry. Jamie's Joe Rogan's guy. James, get on the get on the computer and figure out what polar plunge is for. <laughs> the ALS ice bucket challenge is obviously for ALS. But did you ever do that or no? Yes, I did. What and did- then I forgot to film it. So that was fun. <laughs> Dude, you have to remember, that was the year that cell phones for our generation like became an actual thing, yeah. and we barely knew how to operate them. Um, it wasn't that long ago. Well, I don't know. It was high school. When was that trend? It was high school. Was it high school? Yeah. We were, I believe, juniors or seniors in high school. I what believe. did you do? Do you remember what you did for it? Did you just dump a bucket of ice water on your head? Or Correct. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't do anything crazy. I oh. just did. Oh, what? Polar plunge is Make-A-Wish Foundation. Oh, okay. Interesting. I, so... Jesus I just keep thinking about like every Stop. whatever. Yeah, I just keep remembering like every Bill Burr joke about Make a Wish or Anthony Jesselneck and his jokes about make like it's it so funny. Dark humor always makes me smile. So I yeah. It's we're gonna get shut down for this. But <laughs> the the Make a Wish thing in general is so funny 
not funny. It's a it's a great program, obviously, because it's putting kids' like big biggest wish into reality. Right. But some of these kids' biggest wish, like I remember watching a YouTube video, and some kids' biggest wish was him hanging out with David Dobrik. Like, really, that's your biggest wish is to hang out with a YouTube celebrity? That's it. I mean, to each his own. I like David Dobrik too. He's a funny guy. But if I had one wish, I wouldn't be like, you know what I want to do? Go hang out with a 22 year old kid and talk about Lamborghinis. <laughs> like, that's I, I, whatever. But anyway, so when we were doing the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, I wanted to be cool and I had to double everybody. So I stood in a cooler and I had a cooler full of, full of ice water, obviously. Dumped the ice water on my head. It all went into the second cooler, jumped out of it. Put that on my head, went all over me again, dropped both of the clues, broke both of them, and then that was it. What a wonderful waste of money and time oh, that I know, was. 100%. But at the time, I was like, this, this is going to be so sick. Was it? No. It was not. It was <laughs> freezing. Literally why I don't do anything like that. Like it's, <laughs> But you did, but you just didn't film it. I got called out so many times. Yeah, no, that's why I did it. It was because I'm I was like, called out. I wasn't the, the front runner of this. Well, I, I am aware... <laughs> Anyways, what was your week? We were already off the rails, and we have things to discuss. It's fine. We don't have anything to discuss. <laughs> oh I was just watching this other video about how um, for 2021, you should be shortening your YouTube video. So this one's going to be about two hours long. So uh, this week, we went on an interview. Um, it was a good time. Again, Buffalo Dietitian. Go back and check that out. There's a lot of valuable information there. And outside of that, it was Christmas. It was a good time, right? Yeah. It was this past weekend. Yeah. So we, uh, my sister actually, can you? Yeah. Can you? Uh, let me just hold it up. You talk. I'll hold. Yeah. So my sister got, she's very creative when it comes to gifts. Literally last year, one of the most creative. Yeah. Last year, she got us these cups that had the Buffalo Happy Hour logo. And then instead of it saying podcast at the bottom, it says our name. So obviously mine's is, mine is Derek's and then his is Mike. So this year, she got us this book. That is a cocktail book. It is, I don't know where she got it from. It's online somewhere, and we can order more if we wanted to. But every single page is a Cocktail Tuesday or a Cocktail Thursday post, which is incredible for many reasons. The thought that went behind this is awesome. And second, if we ever want to have a studio and have a bar in our studio, we can have this and reference any whiskey cocktail that we've ever recommended all in one space. But then the issue is... Having it. Right. Well, <laughs> ideally, we'd be famous by then, and we'd have all the liqueur and liquor and bourbon and whiskey and scotch and everything and under the sun. Fruit. And fruit. Oh, yeah. We're going to have a rooftop garden <laughs> right next to our CrossFit gym. Um, <laughs> but uh, so that's pretty sweet. And then also, too, what we're thinking eventually in the future, once we get more of these, uh, cocktail Tuesday, Cocktail Thursday, is you and I can even order these and have people buy them. Because yeah. there's a ton of people that reference our cocktails. Yeah. So having it in a book form and replacing that uh, random book that your second aunt bought you for Christmas because she knows that you're an alcoholic, it's just a cool way to replace something that is applicable to everybody to something that's specific to us. So I, I love that gift. It's such a thoughtful gift, and it's going to come in handy very much. Absolutely. Autumn leaf? Thank you. Yes. So other than that, I what mean, a saint. it was uh, right? It was a relatively low-key week. I don't know how you guys were growing up, but with my parents being divorced, it was always go this place, go this place, go this place. And Christmas Eve, 
starting at like 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve to the nighttime on Christmas Day, don't remember a thing because it was just unwrap these gifts, travel to the next place, do the same thing, rinse, repeat, and then go to sleep. This year, we finally were able to get it down to at least be able to relax a little bit. So we just started at Gina's family on Christmas Eve, and then for Christmas Day, we spent it with my family. So we narrowed it down to three places that we had to go, and it was just so much easier. Did you ever have that growing up where you were just being pulled in every direction? Yeah, we always went to at least five different houses. So It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it sucks. This was the same with us. It was the same year, or I'm sorry, the first year that we went to one house and stayed. Yeah. So it was wild. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But, I mean, we still have to coordinate with everybody so that we can exchange gifts because mm-hmm. there's a lot more to Christmas than just Absolutely. one, you know. But, yeah, yeah two gifts. it's good. There's a lot more to Christmas than one gift, but two gifts. Right. There's more. Two families. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, coming up tomorrow when we're recording this is New Year's. We've talked about this last year. Do you, Are you planning on doing a New Year's resolution? <laughs> <laughs> No. Yeah, I know. Are you? No. God, no. They're ridiculous. Yeah. Just live your life, and if you have goals, then set them, make them achievable, and execute. Shut up. Stop making excuses. Get after it. That's it. Like, I don't need January 1st to tell me that. You don't, but some people might. (laughs) 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 Some people might need that, though. And it's a good, we've talked about this last year. It's a good resetting point. Like to say, is you know it though? What? Yeah. Is it though? This year, more than ever, Mike, 2020 was a cluster. Nothing's going to change except you write 2 1 at the end of the date. And that's going to help a lot of people mentally. Let's move because on. This- <laughs> I'm not. Nothing. <laughs> stop. What's all of a sudden it's over with? It's, it's not yeah. going to be over. No. It, it will be. Grow up. I can- <laughs> I can guarantee you it will be because what is there now? We're not going to go down this road because shorter videos, Mike. Next section. No, I'm just kidding. It's it's a new year. I can see a world where now that there's nothing hanging on the line like there is in 2020 and there will be in 2024, there is no political benefit for any side to keep this going on. If this is a political thing, which many people do argue that it is, there's no more politics for like the next four years because there's nothing to fight for. So that's why I think that regardless of what your views are, since this thing, if this does have a political aspect to that, that's gone this year because nobody cares anymore about that aspect. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. There's hypocrites everywhere. Absolutely. hundred percent. But uh, so New Year's, what are you, we did this last year too. So what are your goals for 2021? Like for the podcast, since you don't do goals for yourself on a yearly basis, but you kind of do for the podcast. What are your, what are you looking forward to in 2021 for the podcast? 500 subscribers. This is off the top. I literally, you ask me on the flight questions (laughs) all the time. It's part of the authenticity of the podcast, Michael. (sighs) Yeah, but this is serious, man. Like I have to sit down with a cup of Joe and really who's joe think about Why aren't it. i good enough yeah anyways nailed it wow uh, so 500 subscribers on youtube uh 1500 followers on ig and we really need 
to get monetized in 2021. Mm-hmm. So those are my goals. We and don't, we don't I think need to everybody, this podcast isn't going to end if we don't. But it's a goal of ours that it would be very nice for us to get monetized. We're extremely impatient, and we've talked about monetization as just a benchmark of showing actual progress and growth, which is why we care about it. Yes, we literally don't care about the money because we, even if we are monetized, we won't get money. Yeah, like it's hundred percent. What is it like four cents for every? 1,000 views. Yeah, it's, so, and, it's ridiculous. And YouTube takes like 30% of it. So Yeah. we're Trust me, we're not in this for the money. That's why we still have full-time <laughs> jobs. But anyways, the I think two of those three goals are attainable by four months in. Yeah. So well, that's what I want to push for. I'm putting you on the spot again. But do you, <laughs> do you remember what our goals were in 2020? Or in 2019 going to 2020? My notebooks in my office... <laughs> I don't have it on me, and I don't have a photographic memory Damn, that well. Okay. well. We'll post about it. But, yeah, so I think that those are idealistic goals. I don't think that. What are your goals? They're not attainable. Uh, enough about they're me. They're not, not attainable. Hold no, on. Let me th- shine the light on you. <laughs> this light's already shine on me. The, the goals are similar. That's why I asked you that, because I know that what you say is ultimately going to be my answer, because you are more forward-thinking about that than I am. I am more in the moment about how can we get monetized tomorrow, and you're like, all right, let's set realistic goals about the end of 2021. So I knew that your goals would mirror mine, which I think that that is, I mean, 500 subscribers, that's obtainable, but I think that 1,000, I would prefer by the end of 2021, like, we can reach 500 but I want to reach a thousand by the end of 2021. Okay. Uh, and then just, yeah, I would love, I would love a studio because if we have to do one more winter in this garage, I'm going to have prosthetic legs. We have an entire year to fix this. So we don't have that issue or we just get a studio. Are you out of your mind? Yes, I am very much out of my mind. I know. Tell me, I don't need this. Yeah, we that should be something that we aim for, because, again, there are people that we still interview that do not have an office and it would be nice to have (laughs) (laughs) it would be nice to have a spot where people can come and we can interview them in our studio and then have a bar for the cocktails. Then get our liquor license, and then just start throwing shots. Oh yeah, that all sounds unbelievably cheap, (laughs) extremely inexpensive. That's more of a 2022 goal, though. So we'll figure it out if we're still even friends by then. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so that's really it for my week. I mean, are you? Do you have any plans for New Year's? Uh, Super small gathering at my buddy's house. Uh, So ten people, I hope, right? Avi. But yeah, going to his his house, exchanging gifts because we haven't yet, and then having an, our yearly New Year's dinner. Hmm. Uh, so the four of us, we all sit down, and every year we we end the year and then talk about the incoming year over a super nice dinner. All right. So it's the one dinner a year we splurge. So we're having a fillet. Ooh. So yeah, I'm who's excited. cooking it? Probably me. Nice. Yeah, I'm Hell stoked. Yeah. I'm ready. Grill or pan, dude. Cast iron. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. None of this pan shit. No. I got a new grill for Christmas. What? Yeah. A six burner? Uh, Yeah. Nice. No, four burner. Okay. It's it's amazing. I mean, we only cook for us. but For now. The, yeah. The other one was literally like falling apart. Yeah. 
and it still had like the charcoal at the bottom. So it was still propane, but it was it had charcoal like charcoals at the bottom, and it was so hard to regulate the temperature in that thing. So now this thing has like the Bluetooth and the therm the meat thermometer that's attached to it and all that jazz. So I'm stoked for that. That's awesome. But I I prefer my steaks on the pan, but burgers on the grill are amazing. And hot dogs. Yeah. All right. But anyway, you uh you want to get into this whiskey section? Do you have anything else for the weekly recap, bud? No, I'm sick of being put on the spot. Yeah. So what are your aspirations for the next <laughs> five to ten years? All right, let's get to the whiskey section. So now next, we are in the whiskey section. What do we got, Mike? We have Evan Williams Single Barrel, 86.6 proof, and it's, of course, the vintage. So they got the wax going literally down the entire neck of the bottle. Uh, there's a lot to discuss here. I'm extremely excited to dive into it. So let's get started. Can you tell me that Evan Williams is an actual guy? Come on. So the following awards were earned by this specific spirit. Uh, they won gold in 2019 at the World Spirits Comp. They earned 96 points in 2019 for the Ultimate Spirits Challenge, and they were listed in 2014 as one of five great bourbons, which is a pretty big stamp. Mm. Uh, so company background, they started way, way back in the day. So not like 1800s, but so Heaven Hill Distillery in Kentucky has a huge name, mm -hmm. and this specific spirit is one of their like adorned bourbons due to its tasting notes. So it's the only vintage dated single barrel bourbon on the market, which I found extremely interesting. Mm -hmm. It's similar to the way vintage wines are selected, but their distillers hand select the individual barrels that meet the specs that they've established themselves. They then bottle uh, and then mark it with the vintage date that it was put into oak, along with the year it was bottled and the exact barrel number of the single barrel that the bourbon weaves were drawn from. So there's a lot that they do hands-on to make it what it is, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. The Burham Distillery is the world's largest single-site bourbon distillery, producing 1,300 barrels a day. The traditional methods used are the same as those of the company's first plant, which is located in Bardstown, Kentucky, which is about roughly 45 minutes away. The Shapira brothers, who co-founded the distillery in 1935, could not have imagined owning a distillery like Burheim. In the middle of the Great Depression, cash was scarce and economic confidence was low, Avi. But post-prohibition, America was still super thirsty for great whiskey, <laughs> and Bardstown had loads of distilling talent. Combining the two made an obvious business opportunity. In 1934, a group of investors approached uh, Moe's. It's M-O-S-E, so it, it also could be Moss. Moe's Shroot. <laughs> George, Gary, David, and Ed Shapira with an opportunity to create a distillery. Their proposition was simple. If the Shapiras who had built their business acumen as department re uh, store retailers would contribute $17,500 in startup capital, the operating group would invest an equal amount and run it. The deal was sealed, and the original Heaven Hill Springs distillery was built. 
interesting. Ready? The modest wood frame distillery used coal to heat the boiler, which cooked its mashes and sent stem surging, not stem, steam. I figured as much. Now we're doing stem cell research now in this distillery. This is an advanced distillery. It sent steam surging through its all copper column still. The first barrels were filled on December 13th, 1935, but it wouldn't be until four years later that the liquid inside was properly aged and the owners released their namesake whiskey, Old Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. The issue is that the other investors couldn't wait four years. They were, like, running out of money. Mm-hmm. So the the only reason it basically lasted that long was because the Shapiras had money coming in from the retail stores. So they were able to kind of fund their part. So they were asked to buy out their partners for twenty grand in 1937, like right after the, uh, the Depression. Mm-hmm. So suddenly and unexpectedly, the brothers were forced to gauge the seriousness of their commitment to the distilling business. And one of the brothers was quoted saying that they always joke that their dad didn't know a barrel from a box, but he and my uncles believed that they were involved in a good business that had potential. So they bought out the partners, and I'd say that risk turned out pretty good for them. That's the end of his quote. From the beginning, members of the renowned Jim Beam bourbon family making, uh, I'm sorry, The so the Jim Beam family overtook and oversaw the operation yeah. to make sure that it was consistent. So in that, in 1935, it was Joe and Harry Beam who brought their know-how and set the standard for quality. In 1946, Ed Shapiro signed Earl Beam to the job of Heaven Hill Master Distiller, and he would then spend 29 years in that position, helping Heaven Hill establish its distilling legacy. Upon his retirement in 1975, he handed the reins to his son, Parker, who spent the next several decades creating new bourbon brands such as Elijah Craig, as well as Single Barrel, and long-aged releases of Evan Williams and Henry McKenna. He was determined to continue making and aging premium whiskey, which would later reap great rewards for Heaven Hill. So it's fascinating because we're blending all the knowledge from Kentucky with different distilleries Mm -hmm. into this and basically making it what it is. Pretty solid. That's fascinating. And as you were talking, I was trying to decipher what you were saying into a taste. This is some pretty good forward taste. This is a, we'll get into it in the whiskey review, but this is a punch you in the mouth and then let the delicacies flow back. Yeah. That's how I feel about this. Yeah. I'm with you. We'll get into it though. But yeah, this is interesting. So what, what made you choose this one? You kept me in the dark for a while on this. So talking about me throwing questions at you, you're like, well, I got a whiskey and I'm not telling you what it is. So what made you choose this? One, we never had it on the show before. I don't think either of you ever had this, period. Um, it was the last one on the shelf. And the the bottle, the label, and then the wax going down the entire neck mm-hmm. was something that I'm like, we should we should look into this. I, I associate Evan Williams with their honey liqueur. Probably because that's the first bottle of alcohol that I've ever received was this Evan Williams... Uh, honey liqueur for a very long time it, probably until recently i didn't even think evan williams had a bourbon or a whiskey i thought that they were all liqueur for a while and then when we you pulled that out i'm like oh yeah 
Like this is, I'm excited for this. And I think that this rating is going to be very interesting, which brings us to another point with this being season three. Now we're officially in season three. It's 2021. We are going to start implementing a similar, but different rating approach, which do you want to talk about it now? Or do you want to talk about it later? No, we can talk about it now. Basically gloves are off. Yeah. All right. We're no more of this kid's game. We're basically stewards. So no big deal. If you don't know what that is, Google is your friend. Uh, it's the equivalent of a wine sommelier, but for whiskey. And the proper term is a steward. We are literally nowhere as close to that. But we are basically going to be very realistic, honest, more blunt, and harsher when it comes to all the ratings, which does not discredit season one and two by any means. It's just now we've had really good, mm-hmm. and then we've had decent, and then we've had bad. Yeah. And now we know like kind of where we're at. We understand our palates after three seasons, and we're comfortable with our rating and confident in it. Yeah. And now we're going to start defending it. Rock and roll. <laughs> with a more harsher rating. So Correct. Something to note, too, is the first two seasons with we basically primarily functioned off of a 90 to 100 scale. So basically we gave ourselves 10 points of variance between the best whiskey and the worst whiskey that we've tried. Now it's going to be the same approach, but we're going to go from 65, which is close to failing. None of these whiskey, none of these whiskeys will ever fail. Whiskey is very good. What is the quote in the back of the book say that, um, my Mark sister Twain. Had? Yeah. From Mark Twain. Um, I'm glad Autumn Leaf added it in there. Yeah. So it says, which this is also one of my favorite quotes, too much of anything is bad, but too much good whiskey is barely enough. Yeah. End quote, Mark Twain. <laughs> so that being said, none of these whiskeys will ever receive a 64. That's just not. 65 is failing. 64 is failing, isn't it? Okay. So here's my question for you. Totally off topic. I never got a 65. I'm a straight A student. So if you got a 65, you passed. Correct. Right? So that means if you had a 64, you failed. Is that why you say that it's 64 is fail? Correct. Well, I just always, in my head, thought that 65 was failing, so never get a 65. I mean, that should be a good... You should always strive for above a 65. Don't ever say, yeah, you know what? I'm complacent with a 64. Don't ever say that. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure that the grades go like A is 100 to 90, B is 89 to 80, so on and so forth. And then D is 69 to 65, and then F is 64 and beyond, at least in my school. I don't know. But, anyway, back on topic. What we want to do is now, instead of giving us 10 points of wiggle room to adequately assess these whiskeys, we are now going to go from a 65 to a 100. So Math. Yes, basically nailed it. So Don't ask me to do an average. Oh, I'm going to, and it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> so we might have given uh, Authentico, or Authentico Nativo Rum a 91. And if we give this whiskey, I'm not saying this is what I'm going to give it, but if we give this whiskey a 75, that doesn't mean that this is worse than that rum. It's just a different rating scale. So take that with a grain of salt. Take season two and season one on a completely different scale. And now starting from season three and beyond, we're going to be a little bit more consistent on from a 65 to a 100 to better understand the intricacies between the good bourbons and also the bad bourbons. And we also rated Authentico Nativo rum as rum, not Mm, as whiskey. Correct, yeah. So that's also another asterisk that needs to be included in the conversation. When did you learn how to say asterisk 
correctly because I still feel like I don't say it right. When I learn the word. Thanks, guys. We'll see you later. <laughs> You're so obnoxious. You've never had trouble saying that word. Everybody has trouble saying that word. Not that word, no. Like, it's... Say it. It's an asterisk. No, it's not. It's not an X at the end. It's an SK. I know. Asterisk. That's my accent, bro. It's, it's an asterisk. <laughs> That's what it is. It's like bagel or boggle. It's like, what, what is you, wrong with you? What, it's it's you a bagal, first of all. <laughs> yeah, but. weak bonds. What words do you struggle with? Literally all of them. <laughs> what are you talking about? Are you out of your mind? That's why I never understood why you want to do a podcast with me. I can't do math. I can barely speak. And I have issues reading. And you're like, nah, we'll just do research on all the things. And then, I'll, then you can say it all, recite I word for word. Yeah, like, I don't understand how I graduated college. Oh my God, that is so and funny. not only did I graduate two years, I did four years like an imbecile. Yeah. It's fine. Crazy. Keep up, dude. Look at your little baby sips over there. What do you got to do? Walk home? (laughs) Grow up. So, interesting that you point that out. I have been taking a different approach with tasting whiskey myself. So, I'm trying to perfect my palate because you say that that we're whiskey stewards. We're not. But No, that was an obvious joke. It was an obvious joke. Well... I don't know how obvious. We have some people in like the Netherlands that have no idea who we are. So um, what's up the one person from Netherlands that IP is probably from there and they're actually in Buffalo. But anyway, so one of my goals for 2021 is to get some sort of whiskey certification. That is one of my personal goals that I do want to get. Fine. We'll talk to- about it. Yeah, we're, we got a book. We're in the process. We're going to take notes and study and do some, I don't know. We got to go back to school. Yeah. So that's. Don't you miss continuous learning, though? Dude, I told you in college, that was my senior thesis. And it sent my professor through the roof, dude. But I told him, formal education will provide you a income that you can live on. But self-education will provide you a fortune. And he hated that. And I'm like. Well, it's true, especially with the price of college, dude. Yeah. Like, face the music. But, yes, I I miss going and sitting down in a classroom with structure and being taught something formally that I can then expand on outside of the classroom. And I miss, which I can literally do at any time because they still exist, but I just miss going to the library mm-hmm. and hammering out a paper and then grabbing a book and then you have all your notes in the mart. Margarines or margins? Margin. Margarine is what you put on your bagel. See? I can't believe it's not butter. Struggled with the word. I just can't believe it. But, yeah, that... Uh, <laughs> I just that's... can't believe it. <laughs> but, but that's what I miss. So, yeah. I in the late nights of just cramming, listening to, like, classical piano while you crank out mm-hmm. a paper, because that's the only thing that'll keep you from not being distracted by the college hoopla that walks around, mm-hmm. now in their pajamas, laziness. Right. But, but yeah, yeah, I really, really miss formal education and just learning. That's why one of the main reasons you and I wanted to do this extensive research section for not only the distilleries, but also these miniseries is because it's providing you and I more of a in-depth level of detail of the foundation of Buffalo. And we love huge. history. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that we just want to do. We want to get some sort of whiskey certification because if we are, I mean, we have whiskey glasses in our logo. We're not a whiskey podcast per se, but we started this based off of the fact that you and I both love whiskey and we're like, we should just do it and rate it. 
And if we do ever want to get to a point where companies want our opinion on things, we should be a little bit more official than we are. So that's a goal for us in 2021. We want to get some sort of whiskey certificate, whether it's a beginner or an advanced. I have zero idea. So there's really no like solid foundation for a whiskey sommelier. Like whiskey or wine sommeliers and uh, beer, whatever they are, there's programs and accredited universities that do that. There's nothing for whiskey. So we kind of have to figure it out as we yeah, go. like you can you can go to college for distilling per se, but it's basically it's basically just a craft beer, and you learn how to brew beer. You don't learn how to necessarily distill. You spend like two days on it Correct. in the entire program. But yeah, becoming whiskey stewards, even a level one, would be monumental in understanding way more. Th- about the entire industry yeah. in general. And there's, and there's people that do ask us questions that we do know the answers to. 100%. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that we do know compared to other people where family and friends that are close just come up and they're like, hey, what is like, what does this even mean? Yeah. And we just explain labels. Right. But like, there's also... What, what makes bourbon bourbon? Like, how it, like why is it called bourbon? Sure. Like, Which I think stuff. the level one would be easy for us to get. There's a level three sommelier in Buffalo. So he actually went down to this company in Texas, and he is a level three. It's not technically certified yet because there's no international certification for this, but he is a level three whiskey sommelier. Is it sommelier or steward? It's a sommelier. So they, they developed a sommelier program in Texas. That's why like even sommelier versus steward is still up in the air because there's no certification behind any of this. Yeah. So we'll have to have him on and talk to him about it. I know that it's very expensive. Yeah. To go to, the, I think it's called like the Wizard Academy or something like that. So you got to dress up as Harry Potter and then drink whiskey. I'm just kidding. I have no idea. There's literally but, uh, nothing wrong with that. There's a lot wrong with that. Never seen a movie. Never will. Uh, but anyway, so that's really what our goals are. And that's the whiskey section. And uh, we are going to get into a very familiar section that we tell you about a cocktail. My cocktail is called the Evan Sidecar. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> What are you new here? This is 67 episodes, man. Relax. (laughs) It's me and my CTE just crushing it, bro. So, all right. Thanks for dropping the beat for the cocktail section. Anyways. You're welcome. Michael, what is your cocktail? The Evan Sidecar. It's two ounces of this fantastic bourbon. Well, we'll prove how fantastic it is in the rating in season three. So two ounces of that, uh, three-quarter ounce triple sec, three-quarter ounce lemon juice with a lemon twist. You take a lemon and a coupe glass that's moistened. The rim is moistened. I keep saying that because my wife hates that word, and I know she listens to us for some odd reason. You then sprinkle super fine sugar on the rim. You combine bourbon, triple sec, lemon juice. You shake the ingredients together with cracked ice. You strain into that said coupe glass, and then you garnish it with a lemon twist, and you enjoy it responsibly. Nice. What do you got over there? I have the Cooper Smith. So this one is one cup of dry oak chips. Ready? Write this one down. This is a good one. Two ounces of sweet vermouth, six dashes of Angostura bitters, three slices of an orange peel, six high V maraschino cherries divided, and three quarters of a cup of Evan Williams bourbon, ice cubes. So for this, you're actually making like a mason jar cocktail, which is sick. So you're filling a 16-ounce mason jar with oak chips, adding sweet vermouth, bitters, 
orange peel, and four cherries to the jar. Fill the jar with bourbon and secure the lid. Allow about five days to condition this cocktail. What? Strain the mixture into a shaker and fill with ice. Strain, shake and strain into a chilled martini glasses. Garnish with remaining maraschino cherries. This has like a rocks glass. This isn't a martini glass. But um, yeah, so you're honestly like meal prepping your cocktail for the week. <laughs> <laughs> Just a slice of pizza and then this cocktail. Wow, that's wild. The Cooper Smith. All right. Perfect. That's a good one. Hell yeah. Should we rate this thing? Let's do it. I hate that you do that. <laughs> Why? Because it's the worst. <laughs> and I know it's coming, too. I'm like, here we go. You just start cringing already. You're like, yeah. all right, should we do this? You should do it. When I drive and I'm listening to the episode back every Monday morning, I'm like, here it comes. It's like, hey, Derek, let's write this thing. Let's do it. And then I just throw up. Like, leave the road. And it always hits at the same time, I too. We're consistent. That's what it means. All right. So label branding. A thousand. We're being harder. (laughs) A thousand. Ninety seven point five. I do have to rate this high. I do have to give this at least a solid A. Yeah, reason what a good being, one to come out on. We're going to say that this is going to be very hard now. Yeah. And this is going to be a very high rating. <laughs> I, it's definitely going to, yeah, we're going to eat our words. Yeah. But there's a lot to this bottle where it doesn't, the label itself doesn't blow you away compared to others, right? The thing about it, though, is that it's an elegant upfront image that you get where you're like what is that word and you're trying to read it and then you're forced to spend more time on trying to figure out what it actually says and then you notice the wax up front and you're like that's amazing and it just adds an element of wonder Mm -hmm. and the color of it on top of that just makes you want to at least sip it because you don't know what to expect but this one was put in oak in 2012 uh first distiller in kentucky Again, 43.3 ABV, 86.6 proof, 750 milliliters, um, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, Evan Williams on the front. And then on the back, it dives into the handwritten notes for the specific bottle, which is pretty cool. Um, It was barreled on 8-8-2012. The barrel number was 1335, and it was bottled on 8-11 in 2020. Okay. Wow. So it's eight years in the barrel, and this is a single barrel, right? Not small batch. It's a single barrel. Correct. Cool. So this bourbon was personally selected by our master distiller only after meeting his exacting standards for this vintage. Taken from a single barrel, it is the art of bourbon making at its finest. Bottled, unblended with other barrels to preserve its individuality. Hand numbered as a sign of its limited availability. Hmm. So it's it's a really cool process, and then it also comes with this tag. That says to learn more about Evan Williams bourbon, go to evanwilliams.com, hence what I did. Um, And then it's the smooth tasting, high ratings, and inside this little booklet that is the size of something that Ben Franklin would read, (laughs) it describes uh, basically the entire thing about it, and then it's awards. I like that. Okay. Yeah. A++. A plus. A plus. Nailed it. All right, nose. What are you getting on the nose? To me, I'm getting deep caramel and vanilla up front. Yeah, I was there's oak too. Yeah. You can like literally smell the oak, which is kind of it's it's similar to most bourbons. 
but this is kind of overpowering where you're really getting like a charred oak in the nose. Yeah, this is a deep flavor. Yeah. And it's a deep color too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd give it an A. A plus. No, I, I'm, I'm going to go A. Honestly, it's a mix between a B plus and an A, yeah. but I'm going to go A. <clears throat> Initial right. taste. So this one. It straight up punches you in the mouth. Yeah. So I get right up front a blast of cinnamon and an initial taste of like a rotted out palate of wood. That's what like that's the first taste that I get is like if you envision this palate that's been sitting outside get collecting rain and once it dries out, that's the type of taste I would associate with that. I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. There's also a little bit of apple, and it's faint, but it's in there because yeah. you do get some, you get the sweetness of the apple blended with the baking spice, mm-hmm. and then, but it's it's a fruity baking spice. It's like, um, it's like light. But there's no sugar I'm tasting. Like, this isn't no, like a fruit sugar it's or the wood char, sugar. Yeah. Right. You're just getting char oak. Yeah. It's not a wood sugar. Yeah. Which primarily you would get with higher proofs, mm-hmm. and this being eighty six six, I'm surprised it's not. Yeah, it's not that, but it, no, it's really not. Like this is really toned down. So apple, cinnamon, and like a old wood. Yeah, this is surprising for an eighty six proof to have that many different flavors in it. I feel like it's the perfect blend, though. And honestly, it's like the perfect proof point. That's be- probably because a single barrel. Yeah. Because you're not diluting it with other barrels. I mean, yeah. this is coming, it's not barrel proof, but it's single barrel, meaning it came from obviously one barrel. So you're not getting these mixtures of flavors in here, which is why all the flavors are so much more pronounced. A? For the proof point, I would maybe give it an A, plus because this is an intricate bourbon for the proof that it is. This isn't bland by any means. No. And dude, it's so freaking cold in here, it's like chilled naturally. Mm hmm. I really want to taste this at quote unquote room temp. Obviously, we're in a room. This is not room temp. It's like no. 13 degrees in here, but it's fine. <laughs> People listening to this, they're like, this has been 13 degrees in a row every day that they've recorded. This is weird. All right. So, A plus. <laughs> Ending note. Ending note, I'm just getting a little bit of caramel. Yeah. It's charring it's, a little baking spice. Small hints of honey, nothing yeah. crazy. And it, it doesn't linger too long. It's, it's smooth and it's relaxing. Yeah. This is a super nice sipper for, you know what this is? This is when you, this week, this is perfect for this week. Holidays are coming up. Most businesses are closed Thursday, Friday. Wednesday night, you're out of work. You go home and you know you're off until Monday Mm -hmm. and you have a nice break. You drink this after dinner and you're sitting there relaxing, watching whatever mindless TV you want. And this just totally calms you out yeah it's interesting because this punches you in the face early and then leaves you wanting more on the back end and you really don't have to cut this with water the the cinnamon and the apple are very front forward yeah it is i'm not kidding guys it is the as soon as it touches your tongue that is when the apple and the cinnamon come in 
and then as like the middle of the initial taste to the ending note is all this sweet honey char vanilla caramel back end it is very very nice going down but all the flavors like the intricate flavors we were talking about hit immediately up front yeah and it's it's not the normal caramel there's something off about that caramel where it's just it's like a toasted caramel kind of. Yeah. Um, so ending note, I'm going to go A. A. Yep. All right. Final rating. Give me that countdown. Three, two, one. 89. 88.5. This is really good. That's a solid B plus. It is. That is a good bourbon. That is that is very good. I think that I like it because of the intricacy up front. That's where I like this. It's it's different. And the fact Mo- that you can chug this because it goes down so smooth. Yeah. And there's a very, very light burn and it's a me- it's a medium hug. Mm-hmm. So it's not or it's a mid hug. It's it's just not overbearing by any means. Yeah. For eighty six proof, this is really nice. How much was this? Not a lot. No. Less than 40. Oh, really? Wow. Interesting. Cool. Well, I like that. All right. Well, I just finished. Go Bills. Let's get into this segment miniseries. So we are on episode three of the segment miniseries. Episode one, we talked about none other than the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Stephen Grover Cleveland, which I'm still not over. Uh, Episode two, we talked about the amazing architect and designer of most of the Buffalo Parks, Frederick Law Olmsted. He was amazing until he ended up being with his brother's ex-wife because he died. Which makes him double amazing. So, Criminy. So now, episode three, we're going to try to uncover the family history of the Knox family. So, Michael, what do we got here? So, okay, before we dive in, why did we choose Knox? So, the Knox family is extremely well-known and famous in East Aurora, but they're also well-known because of the Buffalo Sabres. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you dive into what their fame and fortune is from, then it kind of all makes sense. But horses, diamond nickel stores... Retail, smart investments. You're describing my life all up to now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Essentially made them who they are. Um, But they've also done a lot in and around Buffalo that kind of keeps them on the map, which we'll dive into. Yeah, so to everybody, probably the most recognizable would be Knox Farm. Not Dawson Knox, the tight end for the Buffalo Bills. I don't Mm -hmm. think he has any relation. He might. No idea. No idea. Haven't traced that lineage. Did you? Do you know if they're related? No. (laughs) Didn't go there. So Knox Farms is really the where the idea from this stemmed from because we knew that they had such a prominent history in Isora. So uh let's talk about Seymour. So Seymour Horace Knox was born April 1861. He died May 17th, 1915. Lived a decent life. Uh he was a Buffalo, New York businessman who made his fortune in five and dime stores. He merged his more than 100 stores with those of his first cousins, Frank Winfield Woolworth and Charles Woolworth, to form the F.W. Woolworth Company. He went on to hold prominent positions in the merged company as well as Marine Trust Co. Mm. Sound familiar? Yep. So he was the father of Seymour H. Knox II 
and grandfather of Seymour H. Knox III and Northrop Knox, who were the co-founders of the Sabres and the National Hockey League. We'll dive into that a little bit more later. So essentially, Seymour Horace was born in uh, April 1861 in Russell, St. Lawrence County, New York. His father was James Horace Knox, who was married to Jane E. McBriar. James's grandfather had fought in the American Revolution. That's right, Patriot. Nailed it. William Knox was the first of this lines of Knoxes to come to Massachusetts from Belfast, Ireland in 1737, oh, which so this is... hits home for you. That's where I'm from, my family. So Belfast? Be- yeah, so oh, Belfast, nice. Ireland is the home of the revolution. They're basically the part of Ireland that started the war. Um, so they're, yeah, they're patriots. Perfect. Uh, Seymour attended the Russell District School, and at 15, though he had never gone to high school, the dude's a boss and began to teach him school himself. So he literally never finished high school, never went in the first place, but then found himself teaching in school himself. Jesus. Stud. At 17, he moved to Hart, Michigan, where for a few years he worked as a sales clerk. He left for Reading, Pennsylvania. Reading. Nailed it. (laughs) Where he entered into a partnership with his first cousins. He later donated the Knox Memorial Central School Building, dedicated on July 30th, 1913, that served the town until the Knox Memorial School and Edwards Central School merged. He initially became a partner with the Woolworths by jointly opening a Reading, Pennsylvania, Woolworth and Knox store with them on September 20th. Sounds like a law firm. Right. With them on September 20th, 1884, using his entire life savings. The Reading Store's first Redding. several hours, the Reading Store, <laughs> in its first several hours, had no sales. However, the partners took a lunchtime walk, and when they returned at 1.30, they found the local factory workers had been let out at 1 p.m. with their paychecks. So sales were brisk, and the partners never looked back. His second store was in Newark, New Jersey, but it was short-lived. Uh, however, his partnership thrived nonetheless. The third venue was in Erie, Pennsylvania, which enabled them to buy out the Newark lease. He partnered with Frank to open the first Buffalo store, but there was a controversy here. Uh, That store was at 409 Main Street on October 13th, 1888. Jesus. So because of that, in 1889, he was able to buy out his cousins. He maintained a... uh, a Collegial. So he was friendly with him. He was cordial. (laughs) Uh, business relationship with his cousins after the buyout. In fact, he bought Woolworth merchandise at wholesale and then sometimes traded in for competition. Uh, he formed another brief partnership with another friendly rival, Earl Perry Charlton, from 1889 to 1895, opening his Buffalo Ace... Yeah, Ace. Ace? Wow. <laughs> S.H. Knox Co., Five and ten cent store in eighteen ninety. In eighteen ninety, he made established headquarters in the Buffalo store. But this is where the sources disagree on the chron uh, chron see I'm messing it up chron chronology chronology. <laughs> there you go chronology <laughs> of later stores. I don't know why we do this. <laughs> One source says that the second Buffalo store was opened at five four nine William Street on June twentieth, eighteen ninety one. But another one says that Knox opened his second store on December 18th, 1893 at 519 Main Street, four days after the first store at the other Main Street location, which was destroyed by a Wonderland building fire. 
Jesus. So the, the Main Street store replaced the other Main Street store after the f- December 14th, 1893 fire. And then he then moved it up the road on Main Street in 1895. He continued to build his S.H. Knox Co. 5 and 10 cent store empire. And by the time of the 1911 incorporation of F.W. Woolworth Company, he was basically the second largest of six store operators with 98 U.S. and 13 Canadian locations. Wow. In 1912, he received $12 million of the $65 million merger proceeds and was appointed director and senior VP of the corporation. In He's 1912, rem- he received $12 million? Yeah, dude, loaded. Jesus. Knox is remembered as the pioneering city center store operator. His Detroit, Michigan store was the first outside of the agricultural and small market towns. Many of the Woolworth friends' rivals emulated his plan that's insane so this is where it starts to get pretty interesting too because in 1913 he purchased the stephen clements interest in marine national at his death seymour was the vp of the woolworth co and the chairman of the board of the main trust co but he was the first of three generations of the family to serve as chairman so among his grandchildren were seymour h knox the third and northrop r knox the original principal owners of the nhl buffalo sabers Grace established the University of Buffalo's first endowment fund in 1916, where she donated $250,000. Knox bred championship trotters and pacers and was a polo enthusiast. How do you get to become a polo enthusiast? Money. Yeah. All the money. So his sons, the Knox brothers, were the impetus behind the establishment of the Buffalo Bandits of the major... Indoor Lacrosse League in 91, and the Buffalo Blizzard of the National uh, Professional Soccer League in 1992. That's when I showed up. The brothers also brought their vision of a state-of-the-art sports and entertainment complex originally named the Marine Midland Arena, now called the Key Bank Center, to life. The 18,690-seat complex was completed in 96 and is located at 1 Seymour H. Knox III Plaza, on the waterfront in downtown Buffalo. It's the home of the Sabres and the Bandits, as well as the former home of the Blizzard and the Buffalo Destroyers of the Arena Football League. So this is where we talk about Knox Farms. Uh, So it's a 633-acre state park located in Erie County, New York, adjacent to the village of East Aurora. I did not know it was that big. It's stunning. It's the former country estate of the Knox family of Buffalo. They live there, bro. The park contains a variety of habitats, including grasslands, woodlands, ponds, and wetlands. The Knox Farm, located within the park, is still home to a number of farm animals, including horses, sheep, goats, llamas, and chickens. Visitors can observe wildlife, they can hike, and they can cross-country ski through a number of nature trails. Bicycles, interesting. Bicycles, cross-country skiing. Yeah, but bicycles, however, are only permitted in certain areas. There are nature walks and programs offered through the National Autobahn Society and by New York State's Park Naturalists. The Knox Farm Visitor Center contains exhibits of historical and natural interests. Nature trails can also be toured on horseback by permit only, which if you bring your dogs there, watch out for all the horse poop. Horse owners must also have a current Coggins certificate. (laughs) Sounds super privileged. (laughs) The park also offers use of stable facilities and riding lessons. There are also several equestrian events open to the public, such as... Thanks. Such as horse shows, summer polo matches, and an annual carriage drive. So, that... 
this in short, super privileged is the Knox family. So he basically the epitome made, of privilege. He made a ton of money on selling things through like a Dollar General, and now he owns 633 acres, and the lineage of the Knox family is forever immortalized in Buffalo history. It's like what I would think if we were in Parks and Rec. Like, the rest of Erie County is in Pawnee. And then the Knox family started Eagleton, who drives or rides on horses and thrives off equestrian drives. Correct. It's that's crazy. exactly what it is. So Insane. That's the Knoxes. Uh, they're still alive. They're still around. They're still descendants afoot. And next, we have Will Fargo and Henry Wells. Who started... None other than Wells Fargo. So, no big deal, but both of them are from the buff. Yeah, super interesting. Let us know in the comments below, one, if you like this segment. Um, and <laughs> Don't do two, that. Yeah, well, let be, us know. Stay, stay positive, all right? Yeah, so just, let us, just be gentle with it. <laughs> and let us know if you're excited for these segments going forward. And let us also know if you've learned something. We've talked about this all the time, multiple times during this episode. We do this because we love learning. We love doing research, and we love learning about what started and what continued to help grow the city of Buffalo. So let us know if you're getting that same satisfaction from this research that we're doing. And if you are, pass it around to some of your friends because everybody that subscribes helps us in the future to meet that 500 subscriber goal at the end of 2021. That's right. Hell yeah. That's right. So, Michael, this is really the end of the episode. I don't know what else to tell you. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go follow our Facebook, our Instagram at Buffalo Happy Hour 12, and just make sure that you continue supporting us. We have a ton of information coming to you going forward. This has been episode 67 of the Buffalo Happy Hour, Mike. Please remember to drink responsibly, be a good person, and Michael, do not litter. We're out. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.